good morning. I invite you to open up to 1 Timothy chapter 2. We got 10 minutes to finish the sermon because the Giants are playing the Dolphins. We need to get out of here. (laughs) That's coming from a Raider fan. You know, we're really good. Holy moly. So thankful to God for His Word and the impact that His Word makes on lives. And I, I am amazed at this study. I, I am learning so much. I am enjoying First Timothy so much that God is, God is doing amazing things through it in my heart. And I pray that in your heart as well. And really, when we live in a world where if you ask planned parenthood, the roles of men and women you will get interesting thoughts there. In fact, um, they would tell you that, yeah, there's differences with physical appearance and physical traits and domestic behavior and occupations, but don't let that stop you. You just be who you think you are and live your life the way you want and fight against what God has given you, really, this God-given gender and God-given roles that come with that gender. You know, it, it, it's sad. We live in an age now, I've never experienced anything like this in my life. And I'm not that old. I'm not Chalmer. But I'll be... <laughs> nobody is. You're right, Ray. Um, but who would have ever thought that um, even as a tennis coach now that this year we had a young lady come out for the men's tennis team. And confused, um, really didn't know who she was and wanted to play with the boys this year. Um, She didn't last long. She only came for a couple of of practices. But, But you think 14 years old or 13 years old and questioning her God given gender. And really not knowing how to live it out. That's the world we live in now. So when we come to passages like this, they're hard to preach. Because really, we have two options here. Do we bow down to what the world tells us or those voices tell us? Or do we listen to the scriptures and submit to the scriptures? Now, we're in God's house, so we're all going to say what? We submit to the scriptures. But then we go out and we live our lives and then we say, oh, wait a minute here. This is not as easy as the pastor was preaching. I mean, how do we handle these things? And how do we really understand and really love people who are confused about this? And, and we, as we get here, I just want to say this. There are God-given roles for each gender in God's church. One isn't superior to the other. They're all needed, and we're going to praise God for that. They're both needed here, and we're going to see here what God would want in verse 8 of men and what God wants in verses 9 and on of women. Now, this is what I like about this passage. There's only one verse here that talks about men, and there's several verses that talk about women. Amen? And so I'm going to have to do two parts for the ladies. 
you get two special parts, okay? Not one amen from you guys, huh? Men, I'm going to beat you up today, and then we're going to get one verse, and we're out of here. We don't have to worry about it. Women, we're going to have this one, and then we're going to come back, Lord willing, and we're going to look at some more here of what God would want you or would want from you here in the church. And so let's look at this here, and I want you to see this because this is so important how he starts off verse 8 of, of 1 Timothy chapter 2. He says this, he says, therefore I want, now don't miss this, this is the word boluomai in the Greek, it's a stronger word for desire. This is not just a desire out of Paul's lips, this is a true strong want, this is how it ought to be. I tell people like this, when I help Joshua in his driving test, and by the way, tomorrow he is going to get his license. Pray. Pray hard. Our last going out on the street was a little scary. He did his night driving. That is hard. When I tell Joshua, I want you to slow down. That doesn't mean, Joshua, will you please slow down? That means what? Slow down. When? Now. Not later. The car is getting close. Now. Slow down now. Those are red lights now. Do it now. I lose my salvation when I'm out there, believe me. And then we were coming, and this was crazy. We were going to, and he's turning, and I said, Joshua, slow down. It's a median right there. Joshua, slow down. Mm-hmm. Dad, there was a car coming. Yeah, I know, but there's a median right there. You know, we're going to hit the thing. We're going to blow up the whole car. But um, anyway, let's get back to this. But I want... I want, he's saying, this is a very strong desire. This is what you ought to do. Here's what I want men to do. And here's what's interesting. He uses the Greek word for man. That So there's no doubt here. He's not talking about the whole world. He's talking about men, masculine men, men. In contrast to women. He uses the plural word, plural word for man there. So this is not just one man. Some people think the church is about one man. It's not about one man. It's about Jesus Christ. There are several men. So this is for all men. I, I, I want men. Here's what I want men to do. I want them in every place, every place of worship here, I want them to do what? Pray. I want men to be leaders in prayer. Not just in the home, but in God's house. Pray. It doesn't mean that women should never pray in church. In fact, 1 Corinthians 11.5 talks about how women ought to pray in the church. But when it comes to the leadership and the leadership role in the church, God wants men to pray. Not just elders, not just deacons, any man. There was a pastor that would keep people on their toes and call on a man at the end of his sermon. Any man, and no one knew who it was. If it was a man, he would get him and say, all right, I need you to pray. So the whole service, they were all worried. He's going to call on me today. He's going to go, I may do that today, so keep a, get ready for this. <laughs> I want men to pray, but look how he says I want men to pray. I want men to pray how? Lifting up holy hands. All right, now let's become assembly of God for a moment. <laughs> Amen. Anybody assembly of God background? Will you raise your hand? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah, right? You ever been in the assembly of God church during a business meeting? Amen. They're all there like this, praising and worshiping God. And they're in the business meeting. 
And the pastor goes, oh, in favor, please put your hand down. Because, you know, they always got their hands up. You know, here we say, oh, in favor, put your hand. That's a bad joke. But anyway, you know. So is God saying all the men need to come into the church like this? And start praying to God, lifting up hands? You ever, you ever study the different postures of prayer in the Bible? Do you know people sat down and they prayed? Do you know people got on their face and they prayed to God? Do you know they would lift up their eyes and pray to God? Now, we teach our kids this. Okay, children, we're going to pray. Here's what you need to do. We need you to fold your hands. We need you to close your eyes. And we need you to bow your head. And we're going to pray. Okay, you ready? Everybody, please close your eyes. Bow your, uh, fold your hands and bow your head. And we're going to pray. You know where that is in the Bible? Take a guess. Nowhere. Now, is it wrong to fold your eyes? Uh, fold your eyes. Fold your hands. I'll get it out somehow. See, it's not even biblical. The Holy Spirit's not leading me. To... Is it wrong to do that? Why do we do that? Because kids, when you pray, what are they doing? You're moving around everything. Johnny used to say, your eyes are open, Dad. Well, how do you see that? Your eyes are open. You know, and the eyes, eyes closed, the hands, because we don't want everyone to be quiet, right? But look at what he says here. He says, I want you to do what? I want you to lift up not only hands, I want you to lift up holy hands. In other words, it has nothing to do with our posture. It has everything to do with our purity, our hearts. He's saying this, when you go to God, you make sure when you go to God, you're not going to God and not being willing to deal with the sins in your life. No, you deal with sin in your life. You confess sin. You go to God with a pure heart. You don't go to God holding on to things and saying, God, I'm not going to change this. I'm not going to do this. You go to God confessing our sins and go to God with a pure heart. Holy hands. He doesn't say perfect heart. He says a holy heart. That means that our spiritual life is up to date. It means that our sins are being confessed on a regular basis. It means that we're not hiding sin in our hearts because the Bible says in Psalm 66, 18, if we hide sin in our hearts, the Lord won't hear. It means that I can honestly say before somebody that there's no deliberate sin in my life right now that I'm not willing to confess before God. That's the heart he wants us to go with. He says, I want men to pray, but I want men to pray lifting up holy, hand, holy hands to have a heart that is right with God. You say, how do I know if my heart's right with God? Well, look at the couple of sins that easily come into our hearts. Look at the next thing here in verse 8. He says, I want, I want men in every place to pray lifting up holy hands without what? Holy. Wrath. Anger. Mad. What do we struggle with? Anger. We get mad. We get mad at people. This, this is what's amazing. I love and I'm about to preach something because God tests me in this thing. Last night with the cadets, three of them were there. We, a new one came and one was coughing all night. And I'm sitting on the bed and I said, I want to get up and wring his neck. <laughs> Wait a minute. I can't get mad. <laughs> it's so easy for us to get mad. We get angry at things. And let me just tell you something. Not all anger is wrong. Some people, their life verse is be angry and don't sin. That's their life verse, right? Because they're angry people. But let me just tell you what somebody wrote here. Anybody can get angry. That's easy. 
But to be angry with the right person, to the right degree, at the right time, for the right purpose, and in the right way, that's not easy. In other words, when anger comes into our hearts, we have to deal with it. We can't let the sun go down on our anger. He's saying, I want men to come and I want them to pray with holy hearts, but I don't want them to be holding on to anger in their hearts and wrath where they want to destroy people. I want them to, to deal with that. And not only that, I want them to do it without arguing. Dissension is the word. Because what does anger lead to? Fights with other believers. Here's, here's what's amazing is sometimes we have an easy way to go to God and we go to God in prayer, but we don't even want to go to our brother and say, I'm sorry for how I treated you. And that is wrong. I'll never forget when we went on evangelism one time and there was two ladies there and we split up the groups. We went one group here, one group here, and the lady came up to me and said, thank you so much for not putting me in that other group because I'm not talking to that lady. And yet she was going to go on the street and talk to people about Jesus. And she wouldn't even talk to someone in the church about their sin and reconcile. He's saying, I want you to make sure that you don't get into these disputes. Boy, John Piper really lit a fire this week. Did you see it on the news? It made Fox News. He said this, should people in the church drink coffee? How many say yes? All right. How many say no? How many say no? People shouldn't drink coffee. Well, we had a couple of people. That's all right. You know, it, you, you know, it was interesting. Is we, I talked to the donut guys about this because the donut guys have been around. I said, how many of you donut guys think we should drink coffee in the church? You know, and they're all sipping on coffee. And the majority of them said no. Interesting. Now, I'm not going to get into that discussion. It's not wrong to sip on coffee while I'm preaching. That doesn't bother me. Now, if you bring a bag of chips in here, and I'm trying to preach, and I hear, cow, 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 cow. that does bother me. I'm sorry. It's hard to preach when you're hearing, cow, 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 cow. that we have to be careful with. It's actually happened to me, so I can say that I use that thing. Or when you're drinking your coffee, you're loud. There are loud sippers. They are the... And then they leave it in their throat. <laughs> and then they do the... The whole world hears it. It's hard to preach with... Oh, you guys with your coffee cups, you can't wait. I shouldn't say that because next week you guys are going to bring a bag of chips in. I know you're going to do it. And I'm going to be preaching. I hear... <laughs> bothers me. But to get into arguments about that stuff. And churches really get into arguments about that. Things that don't mean anything. He says, I want you to lift up holy hands. I want you to pray to God. Get rid of the anger and get rid of the senseless arguing. That means nothing. And go to God. I I'm reminded of this. Let's go to Matthew chapter 5 for a moment. I want to show you this in the Bible. He's saying, not only pray with purity, but I want you to pray with peace. Peace. Peace with one another. And this is going to be a tough question we're going to ask ourselves here in a moment. But Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. After he talks about anger, and if you're angry with your brother, you're in trouble. Notice verse 23. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, 
And therefore remember that your brother has something against you. Here's what you ought to do in verse 24. You ought to leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your what? Your offering. In other words, he's saying this. If you go before God and God brings to mind that you have something against somebody, you need to settle that before you pray. That's hard. Instead of just saying, all right, I'm going to pray. I'm just going to go before God. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to have a wonderful day. I can care less about that brother. No, we are to go. We are to stop. And we are to reconcile with them. And then go before a holy God with a heart that is holy before him. There is purity there and there is peace. So here's a question we ought to ask ourselves before we pray. Is there anything right now in my life that I'm unwilling to reconcile with another brother or sister in Christ. If there is, do that first before you pray. Wow. How about that? He, goes, he says here, going back to 1 Timothy chapter 2, he says this. Here's what I want men to do. I want them in every place to be leaders in prayer. I want them to lift up these holy hands, have a heart that is pure before God. I want them to deal with the anger in their hearts and deal with the arguing and get right with one another before they come to God. You say, Jeremy, enough dealing with the God-given role for a man, because we're going to come back to that later on. Give me some things about a woman for crying out loud. And I say, okay, let's do that. Let's do verse 9. Now, Adam, get ready. I may need you here. All right, because if someone comes charging up here, please stop them and um, don't let them come after me here. But look at this here. Interesting enough, in verse 9, he doesn't talk about the attitude before they go before God, but he goes after their attire, their clothing. Now, now here's where we have to be really careful. Because I know there are legalistic churches out there that really put a lot of emphasis on externals and don't deal with the heart. So stick with me for a couple of minutes here because I want you to see what he's trying to say here before you get upset and you run out on me. He says here in verse 9, I want women to adorn themselves. In other words, the word adorn is to make pretty, to make something, make an appearance, something beautiful. We have ladies that, that it, it's amazing. Whitney is one of them. I told her I was going to pick on her in a second service because she loves to make things beautiful. She even put flowers and plants in the men's bathroom. <laughs> Men don't need plants in the bathroom. But she, loving to make everything beautiful, put plants in our bathroom. One guy came out and said, Pastor, there's plants in our bathroom. What happened? Don't worry, Whitney did it. She loves to make things beautiful. There's something about ladies that just know the touch to make things very pretty. They know where the paint needs to go. They know where this is. They know, they know all the things. They know how to make houses beautiful, churches beautiful, children's classrooms beautiful. They know how to make themselves beautiful. That's a wonderful thing. Paul says, do that. Adorn yourself. Make it pretty. How? He gives three ways of doing it. Look at this. He says here, here's how you can make yourself pretty. Proper clothing, literally in the Greek, put yourselves together well. We'll make it into, we'll put it in our thing. Match. All right? Now, one amen. 
match. Is that too hard? Or as Bob wrote here, those who wear clothes that do not match may be depending on matchless grace. Oh, that's a bad one. Bob, you put it right there in the pulpit. I got to read it. But put together well. Matching. There's some kind of drawing attention to ourselves by not, by Lady Gaga knows how to do that. To put all these things together that don't match so she draws attention to herself. No, put things together orderly. Match. Look at this next thing here. He says this, not only that, in verse 9, modestly. You know what that word means? Without shame. That draws respect to somebody. What he's saying is dress in a way that people will respect you. Respect you. It, it, women want attention. They want to they draw that attention, but, but they lose the respect because they don't respect them for being a woman. They, re, they respect them for other things. And you want, you want respect. You want to be able to draw respect with that clothing. And then you say, well, how do I know what, what, what that is? Well, look what it says in verse 9. I love this. Never picked it up before. This is beautiful. It says, I want you to adorn yourselves with proper clothing, modestly, and what's the next word? Discreetly. The word there is self-control in the Greek. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. In other words, what Paul is saying, God will guide you in this. The Holy Spirit will guide you in this. You don't need some pastor getting up there and saying, here's what you ought to wear. Let God do that. God will do it. God will help you put it together. God will help you dress in a way that, 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 that gets respect from others. God will take care of it. God will help you be self-controlled in this area. God does it. The Holy Spirit does it. She says, here's what you ought to do. You know why? You say, why is this so important? Here's why. One's attire, somebody writes, is an expression of taste, interest, and even character. Now, one amen. You learn a lot about a person's character. Interesting. Let me ask you this. How do we know whether or not a prostitute walks into Whitefield Community Bible Church? Somebody's looking around. Wait, wait a minute. <laughs> do you know that our first Bible study in Argentina, the town prostitute came to our house, sat at our table, while Katie opened up her Bible and shared with her the love of Jesus Christ, and she would come to the ladies' Bible study at her house. I didn't know she was a town prostitute. People, people came up to us afterwards and said, hey, is so-and-so going to your house? Yeah, she's the town prostitute. Really? She needs Jesus. Let her come. She came. She would come, unbelievable, to our house and listen how did you know back then that a prostitute would walk into a church? You ready for this? Here's how you would know. Historian wrote this. She would come in with elaborate hair. Her eyes would have pencil lines on them. Her eyebrows would be smothered with paint. And she would wear costly clothing. That's how you knew a prostitute was around. You know what Paul says? Ladies, don't go that route. Don't you dress to impress and seduce. In fact, don't look at this here. He says here, 
You go there and you have proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with what? This elaborate hairdo. Boy, I wish I could have some hair like that. But elaborate hairdo, this beautiful hair with the gold everywhere, the pearls. Did you know pearls cost three times the price of gold? They got the pearls everywhere and they got costly garments. Here's what blew me away when I studied this out. Did you know that costly garments back there could cost up to 7,000 denarii? You say, what is that all about? You know how much they made? One denarii a day. 7,000 denarii for one dress. You know how many years of salary that is? I had to ask an Air Force cadet to get this. 19.7 years of salary. One dress. Anybody got a dress like that here? If you do, please put it in the offering. <laughs> we'll have a building tomorrow, Amen. 19 years of salary. That's going way out. They said, but what did the common people do? They would buy 500 to 800 denarii. In other words, it would be a year to a year and a half to almost two years of salary on one dress. Just to impress. Now, please don't misinterpret me. Dress well. Spend money on a nice dress. It's not bad. You can have a Gucci bag and still be right with God. That's not what this passage is saying. Some take it to the real extreme and say, well, how do you want, what do you want me to get everything at goodwill? That's not what he's saying. It's not what he's saying. If you do, that's fine. Praise God. But you don't have to. You can go to Kohl's. It's okay. <laughs> J.C. Penny. Go there. It's all right. You can get some nice dresses. He's not saying don't do that. Here's what he's saying. Don't try to impress other people with those things. Don't try to draw attention to yourself with those things. Don't try to make an impact on a man with those things. Why? Because those are temporal things. You say, how do you know that? Just ask Tom Cruise's wives what the, how it is. They were beautiful for how long? Until they reached 33 years old and then he got rid of them. That stuff does not last. Here's what he says. Ladies, here's how you make an impact. You ready? Verse 10. Instead of coming in with this, all this stuff and, and spending useless time on all this stuff, here's what you ought to do in verse 10. You ought to be rather by means of good works. Don't miss this. Be instruments of good works. In other words, be making, here's what God wants for women in the church. He wants them to be instruments in his hands to make an impact in the lives of other people. Here's what he wants. He wants to use you. He wants to use your life as an instrument to really, to really make an impact, an everlasting impact on the lives of other people. Not this temporal impact, but an everlasting impact on the lives of people. How, how does a lady do that? Well, she becomes an instrument of good works. Or as I, as I watched yesterday, as we had over 20 ladies here at the ladies' Bible study, and I snuck in to take a picture and eat some of their food, and um, because, you know, that's what a good pastor does. He eats the food at the, the ladies' Bible study. And as I walked in here and I, I took a picture, here's, here's Katie standing up and, and leading in, in the prayer, and I thought to myself, wow, that is a beautiful lady. Not, not only beautiful on the outside, but she is a beautiful lady on the inside. She is right now in children's church. She goes into the nursery. She helps with the slides. She does things. She meets with people on the side. She wants to make an impact in the lives of people. That is beauty that lasts. 
He's saying, live that. Be an instrument in God's hands. Be an instrument to make an impact. I told Elise in the first service when she took care of Sarah's kids during that time when Sarah was getting the operation or the, the, the little surgery there, I said, you were being an impact. You were doing something. You were making an impact just by watching kids. There's so many ways of doing it. He's saying here, you want to make an impact because this is proper. Look at this in verse 10. For women who make a claim to what? To godliness. In other words, he says this. If you're a lady here and you claim that you know Jesus and live for Jesus, how are you going to prove that? You're not going to prove it by having a nice hairdo. You're not going to prove it by having a costly dress. You're not going to prove it by having the latest face. You're going to prove it by being an instrument in his hands. So prove it. Show it. This is your wonderful role. And Jessica, you're going to love this. Do you know where that starts? With children. And all those in charge of children's ministry said, Amen. <laughs> We're going to see that in a moment here, Lord willing, in a couple of weeks. How a lady can make an impact being an instrument in God's hands through the bearing of children and raising children for His honor and glory. This is a beautiful passage. But for right now, we have roles. And this is what God wants. Men, He wants us to pray. He wants us to pray with a heart that is right with Him and a heart that is right with others. Ladies, He wants us to make an impact. He wants you guys to make an impact. How? Means of good works. Be an instrument in His hands. Don't get distracted from your call. Put yourself together well, please. <laughs> but don't be distracted from your call. What matters is your heart before God. And if you claim to know Him, show it by impacting lives and other people in the church. What a, what a beautiful passage. Let's, let's bow in prayer as we get ready for a communion service here. Our Father, we, we thank You so much for these Scriptures, Lord, and we're not done. We're just getting started here. In a world that tells us to fight against our God-given roles, You, Lord, tell us what You want us to do. You want men to be leaders in prayer, to come to You with a heart that is right, that's willing to confess sin, that's willing to be up to date spiritually with you. That's willing not only to confess sin, but to deal with the anger that so easily comes into our hearts and the arguing that comes because of our anger. Father, you want purity before you and peace with one another. So Lord, I pray for everyone here that we can say before you and before we come to communion and say, Lord, yes, I have dealt with the sins in my life. I have confessed them to you. I don't want to harbor any sin. And Lord, if there's anyone that I have anything against that, Father, right now I would forgive and release and not hold that against them. Father, I, I, I pray for each lady here. I thank you so much for the wonderful ladies we have in this assembly. We are so blessed. That, God, they wouldn't get distracted with things that really don't matter, the externals, but, Father, that they would be instruments in your hands, a means of doing good works. As they help with different ministries, as they serve the saints, 
that, Father, that you would get the honor and glory through it, that you would use each one who claims to have a relationship with you. Father, I, I thank you so much for the inner beauty that is there. And God, I pray that we would be encouraged through that because the outer beauty fades, but the inner beauty can be renewed each day. So we come to you and we ask you to, to purify our hearts. Father, we're about to have communion now. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand the true meaning of this and that you would get all the honor and glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, the children are going to come in here.